0: So welcome to The Hills. I know some of you are watching online and many of you are in person at North Richland Hills at Keller or at West Fort Worth. And some of you are visiting our church for the very first time and you've picked a unique day to do so. I hope by now you have perceived that We are a church that cares about people. We care about the struggles that people have and we don't just care with our words but with our wallets. And so once a year we take a day And we give everything away. Uh, We take our tithes and we go abundantly beyond our regular weekly tithes. And we give our Renew offering to our partners here in our city to bless people around the world. To give them the possibility of a better and brighter future. So I want to thank all of you who are participating in our Renew offering. And invite anyone who's new to do the same. But if this is your first time to visit the hills, you've picked a unique day for another reason. That will be obvious in a moment. We're in a series called Let's Talk About Mental Health. And to be candid, this is one of the most difficult series I have ever preached. Not just in preparation, but in carrying the burden of what we're discussing. I have felt the heaviness of it, but I know this. If it has been difficult for me to preach, then it has been especially difficult for some of you to hear. I know that the issues we have addressed have been triggering for some of you and have required you to have to deal with some really painful things in your life. And so thank you for trusting my motives in wanting and feeling like I needed to preach these sermons. Because as I've said every single week, the mental health crisis among us is real. And not talking is not working. And so today, I am going to address a subject I have never preached about in over 40 years as a pastor. Not because I want to but because I feel like I need to. Today we are going to talk about suicide. And like many of you, I am so frustrated with the number of needless deaths in this country because of violence, especially because of guns. But most don't know The number of suicides every year in our country is almost double the number of homicides. According to the CDC, one person takes their life about every 11 minutes. And they report it's the third leading cause of death among people ages 15 to 24. Some studies say it is the second leading cause. But let's just talk about our church family. Last January, I asked you to take a quick survey reporting the status of your current mental health. And over 2,500 people in our church responded. And 6% of the respondents reported having thoughts of self-harm in the last 12 months. That figure was 3% for those over 40. That number was 10% for those under 40. And so perhaps you understand now that I can't know that and say nothing. It would be pastorally irresponsible for me to suppress that reality among us instead of address the reality among us. So I have two intentions for this teaching. I want to be true to the Bible, and I want to offer hope to many people. And to do that, I'm going to need God's help. So would you bow with me for a moment? Let's ask him to bless this message. So God, we're going to wade into some deep water today, and all I have is some loaves and some fishes. My words are not adequate to address and to feed all the people listening to this message. But your Holy Spirit is adequate. Your Holy Spirit is more than enough. So what I am asking is that your Holy Spirit will bring a word of truth and hope to every single person listening to this message. And I ask this expectantly in Jesus' name. Amen. And so... Anytime I wonder, what does God think about a topic, the first thing I'm always going to do is study my Bible. So I've been studying my Bible now for some months about the topic of suicide, and I'm going to share with you the two big conclusions I've come to. There are six or seven suicides mentioned in the Bible, you'll understand in a moment why I say six or seven. The first was a man named Abimelech. He was a judge. He besieged a city. A woman in a tower dropped a rocket, fell on his head. He knew the wound was fatal. He did not want it said he died at the hands of a woman and had his armor bearer pierce him with a sword so he could die. Similarly, King Saul, in battle, received a fatal wound. And he did not want his still breathing body to fall into the hands of his enemy. So he told his armor bearer, pierce me with your sword. The armor bearer refused. So Saul fell on his own sword and took his life. And when the armor-bearer saw it, he fell on his sword and also died. There's a counselor in the Old Testament named Ahithophel, who sided with Absalom in a civil war that Absalom led against his own father, King David. Ahithophel gave Absalom advice, and Absalom did not take it. Ahithophel knew that by not taking that advice, The tide of the war was going to swing into the favor of King David. And he knew what his fate was going to then be. So he went home and he hanged himself. There's a man named Zimri that assassinated the king of Israel, declared himself to be king. But the army of Israel did not recognize his announcement and marched toward the palace to uh, dethrone him. And again, knowing his fate was sealed, he set fire to the palace And deliberately burned to death. And then there's the judge, Samson. And you'll recall Samson was captured by the Philistines. His eyes were poked out. He was mocked in one of their temples. And Samson, with his great strength, pulled down pillars of that temple, knowing it would cost him his life, but also the life of all the Philistines in the temple. And that's why there's a debate, are there six or seven suicides in the Bible? Some would say that was definitely a suicide. He knew what he was doing would take his life. Others would say that's not a suicide, that was a sacrifice. And of course, the best known suicide in the Bible is Judas, who in remorse over betraying his rabbi, hung himself. Now, with the possible exception of Samson, Not a single one of those deaths is recorded or portrayed in a positive light in the Scriptures. And none of them, not even Samson's, was in response to receiving a direct word from the Lord. In other words, not a single person in the Bible who took their life can say they were acting out of a direct revelation from God. That shouldn't surprise us. Because a fundamental ethic for all those under the rule of God is this. You shall not murder. And suicide is self-murder. And so the first big conclusion I come to is that it is never God's will that anyone should take their own life, that no one should ever take their or anyone else's life prematurely. It is significant that in the Bible, seven times individuals ask God to die. They request to die. And every single time God refuses to grant their petition. To prematurely end a life is to rob a person of their potential as an image bearer of God and to eliminate their capacity to participate in the mission of Christ. Suicide replaces thy will with my will. And so it just cannot be in alignment with the kingdom of God. It is never God's will that anyone would take their own life. But I think you already knew that. I don't think the question before us that we wrestle with is, is suicide permissible? The question we wrestle with is, is suicide forgivable? Because for centuries, certain Church traditions have declared that suicide is an unpardonable sin. And it's based on the idea that it is an act once committed for which repentance becomes an impossibility. I disagree with this view for two reasons I'm going to share. The first being that it doesn't take into consideration how bad we all are. Now, maybe you don't, but I knew at some point in this lesson I was going to need some levity. So here is my meager attempt. So a man goes to heaven. He's getting a tour from an angel. He notices all over heaven there are clocks with individuals' names on the clock. He said, what are those? The angel said, those are called lie clocks. Every time someone on earth tells a lie, the hands on the clock move. And the man said, where is my clock? And the angel said, oh, we have been using your clock for a ceiling fan. (laughs) So here's the point. When we do get to heaven, We are going to all finally understand the truth of the verse. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We will all die with sins we never acknowledged, that we never confessed, sins we didn't even know that we committed. Now, I don't say this to minimize sin. I say it to emphasize grace. That our salvation does not hang on the last thing we did, but on what Jesus did when he hung on a cross. And so, I think the unpardonable sin view does not take into consideration how bad we all are. Or how good the gospel really is. That there is no sin beyond. The reach of the blood of Jesus, except the sin of refusing its cover. And so, yes, it is never God's will that anyone should take their own life. But the second conclusion I've come to is that it is always God's will to forgive sin, including the sin of taking one's own life. You see, God understands that suicide is not motivated by rebellion. But by desperation. I received a letter recently from someone who listens to my sermons from another city, has done so for 20 years. And for over 20 years, this person has lived with chronic, unrelenting pain. And they confessed having thoughts of suicide through the years. And they wrote, It's not about ending my life, it's about ending my pain. And God understands. Our pain does not move God to dispassion. It moves him to compassion. The God revealed in scripture is close to the broken hearted. And the psalmist says, he keeps a record of all of our tears. How good is the gospel? It's this good. Our God Keeps a record of our tears, but does not keep a record of our sins. Hallelujah. That's how good the gospel is. He does not keep track of our sins, but he knows how much we've wept. And so I want to say again, this is what I believe, that nothing we do Even if it's the last thing we do, can undo what Jesus did for us. Jesus himself said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me. And he is more powerful than anyone else. The apostle Paul wrote, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. God does not want anyone to take their life. But God can forgive anyone of anything. The blood of Jesus is that strong. Even if it's the last thing We ever did. And I hope that was hopeful. And I hope what I'm about to say is helpful. Because I was a pastor. I knew preparing this sermon that there were three specific groups of people that I needed to address. And the first is those of you who think you know someone who could be considering hurting themselves. I came across an encouraging story on the Good News Network about a young woman named Brooke Lacey. She was a university student in New Zealand. During COVID, she went through a bout of serious depression. When she got on the other side of her struggle, she recognized how important encouragement to people who struggle can be. So she made some posters and put them around campus, and she put this bumper sticker on her Car And the bumper sticker said, please don't take your life today. The world is so much better with you in it, more than you realize. She kind of forgot about it. Some months later, she comes back to her car, and there's a note under the windshield wiper. She's hoping it's not a parking ticket. And she read, I left the house today with a plan. And I asked for a sign, any sign. And I saw your bumper sticker. So thank you. And could it be that you could be just like Brooke, the person God uses to save someone's life? Maybe there's someone in your life, and you've noticed that they have been exhibiting signs that concern you, depression, a sense of hopelessness or weariness, maybe even expressed thoughts that they don't think they matter, that everyone would just be better off. Without them, and you wonder, have they thought of hurting themselves? But you don't wanna bring it up because you don't wanna plant that thought in their mind. Every mental health professional I have talked to and everything I've read disagrees. Those thoughts are already there, and talking about them actually serves as a deterrent by providing a healthy place for those thoughts to be processed. That actually, by talking, you are lowering the risk of someone hurting themselves. Moving them from quiet desperation to open, healthy conversation. This is one reason why I love our Renew Partners. This is what they do. Whether it's talking with a young woman thinking of ending the life in her womb. Or a child that's been in the foster system who feels unloved and unwanted. Or a teenager struggling with feeling useless and hopeless or bullied. And our Renew partners step into the trenches. And they talk with these people. And they speak truth to them. And they literally save lives. That's why we want to be so generous today with our Renew offering. And God wants to use you in the same way. And so if you feel tugged by the Holy Spirit and are concerned about someone. Don't hem and haw. Vagueness in these conversations is not needed. Directness is. There are two questions you want to ask. Have you ever thought about taking your life? And if they say yes, the next question, do you have a plan to do so and the means to carry it out? And if they say yes... Then you say, I want to take you right away to a hospital so they can be evaluated. If they can't or won't go, then you try to stay with them until professional help can be procured. Maybe, though, you're talking on a phone or texting and they're not even in your city or state. Then you tell them that as soon as possible, you are going to call someone to come and see them. You can call 988, the mental health hotline. You can call uh, a suicide prevention network in their city. You can call the local police. Uh, I talked this week with several members of our church who work in this area with local police departments, and our police see this a lot, and they have people who are trained and competent and empathetic and who can show up and help. You say, Pastor, that would be so awkward to say I might do that. Yes, but the Scripture says wounds from a friend can be trusted. These conversations can be real hard, but doing hard things is a sign of real love. And so I want to say to those of you who think you might know someone thinking of self-harm, please get what might be in the dark out into the light. And now I want to talk to a second. I've been thinking about you a lot because I know that when I announced a week ago that we were going to talk about suicide, immediately, deep inside you, something began to ache. And I'm talking to those of you who know someone you loved who died by suicide. And I cannot imagine how hard It is for you right now to listen to this message. And I'm sorry. I'm just so sorry. And God is too. Unlike the gods of other world religions, the God of the scriptures knows how it feels when someone you love dies. And the scriptures tell us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And God understands that you're dealing with some very strong feelings. Maybe you feel angry, or just so deeply sad, or you're just so confused. And you can learn from the psalmist to take what you're feeling and tell God about it. Be honest to God about how you feel. He already knows, so you might as well tell him. But let me caution you about trying to make sense of the senseless. The idea is that if I just knew why, then it wouldn't hurt so much. But in that moment, the person you love wasn't thinking rationally. It will never make sense. And by the way, let me just add, I think knowing why is an overrated pain reliever. When I think about some of the hardest things I have dealt with in my life, knowing why did not make the pain go away. But wherever you are, Confused, angry, sad, just tell God. All of your feelings are legitimate. Well, except one the feeling of guilt. Here's the thing about false guilt it doesn't feel false. But blame is the weapon of the deceiver, not the redeemer. And you're thinking, but if I had just this or if I had just that, we could all stay there forever. Think about it. If we had known then what we know now, we would do most of our lives differently. I think about every single important area of my life, husband, father, pastor. If I knew then what I know now, I would have done so many things differently. This is called life. But the land of coulda, shoulda, woulda is infertile. And no good fruit will ever grow there. And so please, don't make the pain worse By owning blame that does not belong to you. It wasn't your fault. The scripture says there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And so if you are hearing voices of condemnation, they are demonic. They are not coming from the spirit of God. The same gospel that is good news for your loved one who has died is good news for you. So please embrace it. And then finally, it would just be irresponsible of me if I did not speak directly to one more group of people. To those of you who have ever considered taking your own life. You were here. You are in every room of every campus at every service. You are online. Hundreds of you. And you know that those thoughts are a part of your story. Let me remind you of two truths I've been speaking over and over in this series. And the first is that your challenge is not a sin. That you are not a bad Christian. God is not disappointed in you because you have a mental health challenge. Your faith is not weak. And also, let me remind you that you are not your struggle. Your diagnosis is not your identity. Your identity is son or daughter of God. But to that now, I need to encourage you to remember one more very important truth, especially for you. And it is that in the eyes of God, your existence on this earth is good. Now, for the next few moments, I am going to share a particularly Christian worldview. And I understand not all of you share that worldview. You may not even believe in God. That does not keep the God I believe in from loving you, believing that you matter. But if you do share a Christian worldview, I think particularly what I say can be a blessing. That in the eyes of God, Your existence on this earth is good. The idea that the world would be better off without you is a lie. The king of the universe has declared that his creation of which you are a part, he has declared it to be very good. You exist because God created you. And so God has declared that your existence is good. Even when it does not feel good subjectively, God has objectively declared your life is good and he takes great delight in your existence. He was there when you were born because he created you and he took pleasure in your arrival. He saw your birth, and he said, good. And God has delighted every single day since that you are in his world. And so even when it feels like a curse, Scripture calls on you to believe your life is a blessing. And the thing is, even when you don't see the preciousness of your own life, you recognize the inherent sacredness of the lives of those you love You look at other people you love and say their life is good. It's good that they live. The world is better because they're here. They matter. Their life is precious. What you see when you look at others, God sees. When he looks at you. Listen to the most important words Jesus ever uttered. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest Commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, most don't love others as much as they love themselves. But for some of you, the problem is you don't love yourself. As much as you love others. And so God relentlessly pursues his children who struggle to love themselves as much as he loves them. And every week I get another story of how relentless God is in pursuing people who don't believe that their existence is good. Just this past week, I got a letter from Greg. Now, Greg is an inmate. We preach in some of our local prisons. They transcribe my sermons, and they send them to inmates. And then once we send them, they go all over. And one got to Greg. And Greg, who's in prison in Lubbock, Texas, wrote our church. I'd like to thank you for finding me and continuing to send me Rick's letters Here at the psychiatric unit in Lubbock, I'm here due to a recent nervous breakdown, an attempt to take my life. Incredibly, as I was in my cell recovering and trying to make sense of life, God spoke to me through Rick's letters on mental illness. And when I began reading lesson number one, I immediately fell to my knees in tears, thanking God for reaching out to me through Rick's letters. I know now that God was there for me and with me, and he is what keeps me going. Thank you, Hills Church, for reaching out through Rick's lessons to help save my life. Can we thank God for what he did for Greg? That is not me. That is the Lord God relentlessly pursuing every life to let them know I created you and your existence is good. And God wants us to affirm his it is good declaration by loving ourselves. And by agreeing with him that it is good that we exist. And we do that by offering him this life that we have to be used for his glory. The Apostle Paul wrote, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And you might be thinking, well, pastor, the place I'm in right now, I don't have much to offer. God knows. God knows. Just offer what you have. Maybe all you can offer God right now is getting out of bed. Or taking a shower. Or picking up the house or going on a walk or going to church. Offer God that. You're claiming that life is good. Despite the risk, despite the uncertainty despite the inevitability of suffering by choosing to live you are testifying to the goodness of God and so you got out of bed you took a shower you took a walk that's all you could offer but you did that in God's eyes what you did was worship a pleasing and acceptable Sacrifice. From another translation, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to Him. Your living, your being alive is good because your very existence says that God is good. Again, I admittedly share these things from a Christian perspective, and I do so unapologetically because you need to know I am absolutely convinced that the gospel is true. I am absolutely persuaded that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God in the flesh, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he was buried, he was raised again, has conquered death. He sits on a throne. He's Lord of all. And He is returning to set up His kingdom. I believe all of that. And so you understand, I am a passionate hope dealer. The gospel reminds me that God understands our pain. The gospel assures me that God has grace every day to sustain us in our pain. And the gospel promises me that our pain is temporary. And so in the eyes of God, you being alive to witness to this good news is a good thing. Pastor Brian Chipple in his recent book, says a friend was going to run a marathon. They give you a bib if you've ever done that and you write your name on it. Well, he didn't write his name. He wrote the word Christian because he knew in the last mile or two when he was so tired people would be shouting you can do it Christian you can make it Christian you can finish Christian well the race that you're running is hard but you are running a good race and so today I hope the Holy Spirit Is speaking loud and clear. And you can hear him say. You can finish. Christian. Keep running. Let's pray. So God. I acknowledge my words are too feeble. For this hour. But the Holy Spirit is enough for every. Moment. And so we're believing and asking the Holy Spirit to bring right now to everyone hearing this word a revelation of hope and comfort so that we will keep running. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.